Awesome. I'm so excited to be back with you guys and um, running on a uh, very little sleep and trying to figure out what day it is of the week. Uh, it's off. Thank you. Um, and uh, anyway, excited to be back with you guys, excited to be through the month of June meeting with you guys. Um, and tonight, I am very privileged to introduce my good friend, uh, Grant Marshall, uh, and I'm excited that he's up here, uh, and he's going to be preaching and bringing the word. The last time we were up here together, his senior year of high school, um, he, he shared, and uh, he got really excited and somehow got ghetto slang in here, uh, and so I'm expecting that again. Um, and, uh, Romans 12. Romans 12. Just, I don't know what happened. Uh, okay, yeah. And so, uh, anyway, I'm excited for him to be back up here. He's a great guy, uh, just seeing how much God's worked and moved in his life. And so I'm just privileged to uh, not just call him uh, a, a, a student, but also call him a friend. So give him uh, your undivided attention, and I know God's going to speak through him. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. What is up, fam? How are y'all, man? You guys are so far away from me. It's like two rows away. I don't know what to do. Um, man, I am telling you, I'm nervous, bro. I was really over there. Like, I've never been this nervous speaking before. You guys are just an intimidating crowd, I guess. Um, so I just want to thank the Southeast Asia team for coming back so quickly. You know, you're doing your thing over there. It's really encouraging. I just love your boldness to go to a place that uh, can be dangerous and uh, to seek the Lord in that. And so I encourage you to just, I just wanted to encourage you tonight that I'm really um, inspired by your walk. So thank you for those that went. Um, I prayed hard for you. So I'm glad that you made it back safely. That's very genuine. Um, so I wanted to start off tonight by just saying, like, man, something that God has been teaching me a lot lately is uh, that, man, relationships are just really important, right? Like, any relationship with anybody. Um, it doesn't have to be significant others. It's any relationship with anybody, right? I mean, brothers, sisters, family, friends, whatever. Relationships are important. These people that we are impacting every day, these people that we engage with every day, they are the only people that are going to, they're the only things that are going to be going with us to heaven. Their souls matter. People matter. Are we in agreement with that? Like, who, who would say that, like, relationships are probably the most impactful thing on this earth? Yeah? Show of hands? Yeah, okay, all right. So we're on a grand set, like, relationships are important, right? So I think it's pretty good that we kind of think about maybe doing them really well, right? We want to we learn how to do relationships well. And so that's why tonight I've chosen for us to go to Hosea. Now, if you don't know much about Hosea, Hosea was a prophet of God. He, uh, we learn in the first verse, uh, uh, Wesley, go ahead and bring up that first one for us, Hosea 1, 2 through 3. We're going to see that when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diablam, and she or conceived and bore him a son. So before we dive into this uh, amazing story, man, um, we're just going to look at who our characters are. We're going to look at who these people are and who they, what they meant to us. And so we see on first glance that Hosea is a man of God. He obviously hears from the Lord and he obeys the Lord, right? So he, he heard, go take this woman to be your wife. And he was like, okay, let's go. And so he, he obeys the Lord. And so that's the first thing we see about him. But <clears throat> and then we see Gomer. Well, who's Gomer? Gomer is obviously his wife, right? So we have that. Then we also see that she is the daughter of Diablame. She's the daughter of Diablame. And so who was Diablame? Well, scholars aren't really sure who Diablame was, but we do know from his name in the Hebrew that his name meant double cake. Now, all right, <laughs> yeah, that sounds a little crazy, right? I mean, I had some great cake for my grandmother the other night, but, man, this is, like, not so good cake. This is, like, like sexual cake, like, not good. And so we see that because um, when... 
the Israelites were struggling, they, they dealt with sin that had to do with pagan worship when they would be using raisin cakes. And so that's kind of the idea behind that term is like double cake means a complete debauchery, complete engulfing of sexual morality. And so we see that the Gomer, who was a horror, and I like prostitute, that's more politically correct. So prostitute, we see prostitute is Gomer, and that is equated to maybe her circumstances from her father. And so we see that there is a direct relationship between that sexual sin that continues throughout the generations. But it doesn't change who Gomer is. She's still precious in the sight of Hosea. And so then we finally find out that God is in the story, obviously. And so we say the Lord first spoke, so the Lord speaking to Hosea, and the Lord is also saying that the land, Israel, has committed great sin against him. He's, they have forsaken him. And so finally we get to Israel, and we realize that Israel is just a messed up mess. Like, they just need help. And so um, that's who our characters are. So I want you to, as we go throughout this, I want you to be thinking about how, all right, so Hosea and Gomer, God has called Hosea to do this, but they are pictures, guys. They are pictures of what God is doing in the land. They're pictures of what he is committing to the Lord, They're, or committing to Israel. They're pictures of what God is wanting to do with the people of Israel. And so I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we go through. All right, so now that we have our characters down, let's start learning from their story, shall we? So we begin, we see Hosea has taken Gomer to be his wife. I mean, what a crazy thing to ask, right? God is going to ask us to do some crazy things. And we thought the craziest thing he would say is, like, be single all your life. You know, that's the craziest thing I feel like God would ask me to do. Like, no way. But, uh, you, know, you know, I'm going to obey him if he asks me to do that. I am single. So, no, I'm just kidding. So, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, so we see that Hosea and Gomer have that going on in their lives. God has asked him to do this hard thing, and he's doing hard things for the Lord. And Gomer, I mean, can you just imagine her for a second? Like, I mean, what, I mean, what would you say if you're a prostitute and a guy offers you a ring instead of money? What would you say to a man that's trying to love you unconditionally instead of taking advantage of you? That's probably an awkward situation. It's probably something she's not used to. It's probably something that's totally outside her comfort zone to marry somebody. So both people are doing hard things. I want you to notice that. I think a lot of times we put Gomer in this, like, wow, terrible person. And Jose is like the victim. Like, he's doing something good, you know? But... They're both doing hard things. They're both struggling together. And so we need to see that. And so just to imagine who the people are, we're going to look at Billy Graham, right? So Billy Graham, being Billy Graham, just imagine him in the place of Hosea and walking down the streets of Las Vegas and walking into a strip club, and he's like, yo, Cozumel, I want to marry you. And so, and then he, he marries Cozumel, and um, she gets a new name called Gomer. And uh, they, they have three kids together, and they have a wonderful life. But don't think too quick because this pretty woman story goes 0 to 100 real quick. And so um, we're going to see in Hosea 2, 2 that Hosea is with his children. He's saying, plead, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from her breasts. And so we see this deep anguish in Hosea because he's realized that the woman that he gave his life to has left him. She has forsaken him. And she has gone back to the very thing that she was brought out of. We see that Hosea is telling his children that their mother, I mean, can you imagine that situation? What an awkward conversation with your kids. Like, hey, your, your mom's gone back to the ways that you didn't know about her before, but, you know, there's some, some tough things I'm going to have to talk to you now. And so everything is awkward. Everything is hard. And so we see that even when we are following in the will of God, even when Hosea has obeyed fully what the Lord has asked him to do, he is in just constant trial after trial. 
dealing with people's looks, dealing with his kids, dealing with his wife. He is in constant battle with himself and his own selfishness. And he is trying to deal with this, God, I'm trying to be here for you. I'm trying to do these things for you. I've followed you and completely obeyed you. But this keeps screwing up my life. This woman that you've given me, she keeps going out. She does these things with other men, but I still love her. I gave my life to her, and I don't know what you want me to do. And so we see Hosea trying to figure this out. My immediate reaction when I found out about this section of Scripture, I was like, man, Gomer, you're a loser. Like, why would you do this to your man? Why would you go out and totally despise him and the things that he's given you? Why would you do this to him? And then I think back on maybe, you know, that's all she knew. That's all she knew to do. And she wasn't happy with her current circumstance. She may have been, she may have been uncertain with what's going on. She, she didn't sign up for that, you know. She didn't want three kids in the, the picket fence, you know. She might have wanted another life. And she kind of got into something that she didn't fully understand. And so that's my immediate reaction when I see that, is to blame Gomer. But we find out in verse 4, or in verse 4 of chapter 2, why she did these things. And so in Hosea 2.4, we see, For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen and my oil and my drink, my, my, my. Man, this girl is selfish. Gomer was selfish. That's, that's our first point is that Gomer was selfish, man. She, she had a lot of selfish, selfishness in her and she wanted what she wanted when she wanted it. That verse right there, she talks about how, man, she wanted what she wanted. She wanted her oil, her stuff. She wanted her way, and she wasn't going to take no for an answer. And so she left all that Hosea had given her because she thought that she knew better. And so we see Gomer going throughout this life. And then in Hosea 2, 7, we see that she will chase after her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. And so there's this immediate reaction from her to go and do her selfishness. But then she sees later on that, man, she's going to seek those pleasures, but she can't find them. She's going to seek the things that she thought was going to make her happy, those selfish desires. But they're not. They can't fulfill her. What is only going to fulfill her is the love with her husband and what she had. But she feels like she lost it. And so we see that this is a direct impact to our life. This is how we treat God every single time. This is how I treat God is we know how good he is. We know what greatness he's given us, what, what just grace he's given us all the time, and yet we constantly reject him. We say, no, God, I know better. No, God, my selfishness is what I want. And we see that we have a deep need for God's love. This shows our need. We have a desperate need for God's love. Desperate need. We see that Gomer was chasing after her selfish desires and trying to feel what only Hosea could do. The truth is that we are all desperate. We are all in need of God's incredible love. It's the sacrificial love that God has that is so great. It's his redeeming qualities, the redemption of ourselves <laughs> that is so incredible. The things that we don't even know that we need, he fulfills. The things that we don't even know we are stuck in, he brings us out of. And so we see that the love of God is not just some nice caption on Instagram or some home decor painting. It is the very thing that defines us as Christians. It is the very thing that separates or that brings us together as people. What does the Bible say? It says that they will know you by the love that you have for one another. They will know that you are his by the love that we have for one another. And so relationships, loving people, that is at the essence of who God is. 
Because he is love. He is love. He wants you to engage people for love. He wants you to be so on fire for loving people that it comes out of you because of your love for him. Does that make sense? So we're, so we're called to love him first, but then what's the second command? Tell me. Come on. Yeah, boom. Somebody's up. All right, come on. So love your neighbor as yourself. That is a, just a natural response from loving God. That should be a natural progression. We love God. We love others. It's natural. But we see that Hosea uh, is loving Gomer, but she doesn't want it. So we're all in desperate need. We are all like Gomer. We have all gone to that place and said, hey, listen, I want this, but I've realized that this isn't good anymore, and I need out. Because the enemy, this is a fundamental truth of humanity, is the enemy of love is selfishness. The enemy of love is selfishness. And so in any relationship that you have, friend, relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend, anything with your husband or wife, it's going to be a bad relationship if you have selfishness in you that's brewing inside. The enemy, the vicious enemy, the destructive enemy of love is selfishness. So we see this progression of selfishness tear apart the family of Hosea and Gomer. But I love the comparison of us and Gomer because the reason why Hosea uh, is so good to her is because he loves her. But she left him because of her selfishness. And we always do that. We always want what we want. We always do that. And so they are in utter separation. They're completely divided. They have gone their own ways, and now we see that there's responses that need to happen. There's a response to this selfishness. And so there's three responses I want us to walk through tonight. The first is the response of justice. The response of justice. Now, because Hosea is a picture of Christ, I'm, I've put up on the screen here so you can see it next to each other, because Hosea is so uh, differentiated in chapters. I want you to see the responses from the Lord and Hosea side by side to just show you how alike they are. Because God is trying to show Hosea his heart for the people of Israel. But he had to go through some pain to understand it fully. And so in Hosea 2, 9 through 10, we see Hosea's response. He says, Therefore I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season. And I will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. Now I'll uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. That's pretty vicious, right? That's pretty hardcore. Like, Hosea is bringing the hammer down. He's like, hey, listen, woman, you have sinned. You've done me wrong. I'm mad. I'm filled with anger. You are the object of my wrath because of what you've done. Justice has to be done because we are sinners, right? Justice has to be met. There has to be a time and space where God says, listen, you've sinned. I can't be around it. You're done. You're done. No chance. No chance. And so it's all over. And so that's, that's the first response we see. God's response is quite similar. He says, I'll punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself. That's the, that's the offense. She decked herself with all of her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot says the Lord. She forgot the Lord. And she is in reference to Israel. Hosea is in reference to Gomer. All right? Let's capture that. So because Gomer's sin has consequences, right? There's consequences that follow sin. The justice has to be met. So Hosea took back his grain. That could represent her food. Hosea took back his wine. That's like pleasure and fun and good times, leisure, joy. Uh, he took back his wool and flax. That would be her protection, her covering. And now she is completely exposed to the evil of this world because of her selfishness, because of the sin that she has brought on herself. 
And so we see the result of that in Hosea 2.2 and Hosea 1.9. Very similar wording from the Lord and from Hosea. For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Hosea 1.9. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. There's separation. There's a problem. There's something that happens when we go out outside the will of God. There's a separation that happens between us and him. And so we see that the first response to this selfishness and this sin that has inflicted the lives of Hosea and Gomer is justice. You see, my friends, Hosea and God's responses are one of hurt and anger. They're both right. It's okay to be angry. Angry and do not sin. Or be angry and do not sin. Anger is an emotion that God gave you. It doesn't mean that you have the right to control it in the way that you desire. But it's a, it's a natural feeling that happens. God is angry. God has anger. He's not angry all the time because his wrath was fulfilled on the cross. Okay, so Jesus took all that. But I want you to know that he was angry with the people. Like, he's filled with anger. We were objects of his wrath before Jesus. We were complete, utter depravity. And God was mad. Like, we had gone against him. He created us and we completely rejected him. I'd be pretty mad too. Like, I put all my effort, I spoke you into existence, girlfriend, you totally disowned me. Like, come on. Like, come on, man. And so um, we see that the people of Israel, whom God made a covenant with, completely rejected him. He brought them out of Israel, or out of Egypt, and he parted the Red Seas. He gave them manna from heaven. How many more things do you need to prove that God is God? You don't need to debate with Ravi Zachariah to realize that God is God when you have manna falling from the sky. And so we see that no amount of anger, no amount of debate, no amount of persuasion is ever going to change somebody's mind that's filled with selfishness because only God and his Holy Spirit can prick the heart of a selfish person, which is all of us. And so we realize that this is another fundamental truth of people, that even when you love unconditionally, people will mess up, that people mess up even when you love them unconditionally. It's going to happen. In every relationship. You can love all you want. You can pray for their soul. You can want them to come to Christ. And you can do everything selflessly. Just like Hosea did. But they're still going to mess up. People will mess up with unconditional love. It happens time and time again in my life. With the Lord. He loves me unconditionally. And I mess up every time. Alright. So we see the, the situation as it is. There's justice that has to be met. There's sin. There's a problem. So let's catch up a little bit here. Let's figure out where we are in the story. So Hosea is a prophet of God. He's asked to marry Hosea, or <laughs> asked to marry Gomer. And uh, Gomer gets selfish and gets all nagging in their relationship. And she says, hey, honey, listen, I don't love you. I don't want this life. I know what's better for me. I knew I was making, you know, $500 a night when I was on the strip. And you're over here trying to get me to, you know, babysit the kids. Like, no, I ain't doing that. Like, I ain't going to be in that. Like, it's over. I'm done. And that shows us where she's at, her heart is at. And so she leaves him, and she betrays the covenant of marriage that they made. And so we see here that there's an issue with Gomer, and the issue with us is the same. We know, as she did, that life is better in that covenant, but we realize that the raisin cakes, the pleasures of this world, the pagan worship that we have in our hearts is so real and so hard to fight that we just give in too easily. And that's exactly what she did. She thought life was better on the other side. So they're in complete and utter separation from the Lord. They're complete utter separation of each other until somebody does something. So finally, we get the good news. And that's in Hosea 3, 1 through 3. Guys, mm, this gets me amped, all right? So this is just beautiful, all right? So then the Lord said to me, go again, 
Love a woman who is loved by the lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of God for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. I told you there's raisin cakes. And so, um, <laughs> so I, brought, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too, I will be toward you. Mm. That is just good. That is just good. That's good stuff right there, man. It gives me hope. So we see immediately that there is a pursuit. Go again, go again, go again. There's a pursuit. Man, that's our next point, is that there is a pursuit involved with going again. So sometimes when people mess up, when people screw up, when we mess up, God has to pursue us. There's a pursuit that happens. There's something that happens in us when we sin that God has to pursue us out of it because we can't do it on ourselves. We cannot do it by ourselves. God has to come and get us. He has to pursue us. And so we see that, I mean, just imagine it, man. Imagine this. So you have Hosea, and God says, go again. Go again, get her, go get her. You have my permission to go, go again. And so we see that, imagine it, man, just imagine it with me. Billy Graham, right? He's on the strip. He's walking towards the brothel, because that's where you go to get your prostitute, prostitute wife, right? He's on the street. He sees the glow in the lights. He says, man, God, why am I doing this? She doesn't even love me. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? But I love her, and you've asked me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Sometimes when we love people, it's not out of affection. It's not out of emotion. It's out of a direct obedience to God. That's why we love. And so he's doing the hard thing. He's walking. He's at the brothel door. He knocks on it. He says, hey, listen, I think my wife's in there. And he's like, no, go away. He's like, dang. I tried, God. I tried. And then he waits around, though. He waits for her. He's waiting for that moment when he sees her. He's waiting for that one moment when he sees her coming through the door. And he sees her, he sees her, he saw her, and he goes, man, that's my wife, look at her, and, and, and she doesn't look anything like I remember her. She's, she's, her eyes are glazed over, and she's hurt, he can see that she's been with another man that has abused her, and he sees the pain, and he's like, no, that's my wife, that is who I loved, that's who I wanted to be with me forever. And he's like, come back, baby, come back to me. And he's like, I want to love you, I want to give it all to you. And so he walks right up and with zeal to that pimp, and he says, hey, listen, that's my wife. That's who I love. I've come to get her. And that pimp just looks him in the eye and says, I don't care who she is to you. She costs this much. She costs this much. And he says, no, I don't think you understand. I got the, I got the wedding license in my hand. We were married. I got it right here. I have proof. And, and, and I, I did. <laughs> How much? How much is she? And, 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 and the, the, the guy says, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? And, and he's like, well, you can't put a price on my wife, okay? She's priceless. And, and so this is where we see something really cool happen. All right. So I want us to turn. Well, you don't have to turn. It'll be on the screen. But this is at Leviticus 27, 1 through 4. This is what the Lord says to Moses. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate someone to the Lord, by paying the value of that person, here is the scale of values to be used. A man between the ages of 20 and 60 should be valued at 50 shekels of silver, as measured by the sanctuary shekel. A woman of that age is valued at 30 shekels of silver. And so we see, hey Wesley, can you go back to the, uh, um, 
go again. Verse in, in Hosea. Um, and so we see that he goes again and gets her. He goes back to that place. And he says, this is how much I'm paying for. I'm paying 15 shekels of silver. I'm paying 15 shekels of silver and 10 barley. And so we see that there's a, a dry amount here, a dry kind of amount. We see it in verse 3. And I said to her, you shall, oh wait, no, verse 2. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. That is equivalent to 30 shekels of silver. Here's the cool part. All right, now you understand where it comes from. Hosea was saying, I'm redeeming you to the Lord. That Leviticus command was given to the Israelites to say, this is what happens when you dedicate someone to the Lord, when you're trying to redeem them back, when you're saying, I'm paying this sacrifice, because remember, justice has to be served. There has to be a sacrifice involved. That's what that payment was, was sacrifice. And so you have this sacrificial giving that happens when you dedicate someone to the Lord. So Hosea, in essence, was saying, I'm making this vow. I'm making this vow to you. And I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So, too, I will be to you. Because he was saying, I'm vowing this to you. I'm renewing our covenant of marriage, and I am then buying you out of your sin and redeeming you out and so that we can have hope together. Because that is what God commanded to do in Leviticus. Can I tell you who else was bought for 30 shekels of silver? Anybody think about it? Oh, who said it? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It all connects, man. The Bible is like a puzzle. It is a puzzle. It is a jigsaw puzzle. And it all connects. You just got to sit in it and soak in it. And the Holy Spirit's going to teach you it. And it's going to connect. And you're going to have Leviticus to Matthew. And it's going to be like, whoa, how did that happen? And it's because the Holy Spirit, God divinely put those words in that book to impact your life and the way you live it towards others. And so we see in Matthew 26 and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus? Judas asked the religious leaders, how much are you going to pay me? And they say, 30 shekels of silver. And so immediately we see that they pay this, this debt to him, and they say, hey, listen, we're trying to get you to do this. We're just trying to bribe you. But the religious leaders were doing something way more significant. They were paying the exact measurement of what Moses was told to buy people back, to redeem back. So those religious leaders were dedicating Jesus to the Lord to be dedicated and redeeming themselves back to him. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Just like in the story of Joseph with his brothers. That is incredible. Incredible. And this is what you can do in your life, okay? Here's application time. Wait a minute, I think I missed a point. <laughs> oh, the response of forgiveness. This is the most important. So we see that there is a pursuit that happens. But to make that covenant, to make that vow, to see that, there has to be a response of forgiveness. There has to be a desire within him to forgive her. And that's what he did with that vow. He said, you are going to be mine. And he says, you shall stay with me for many days. God's response is equal. And he says, and I will have my mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. She didn't do it on her own. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. It's my pet peeve when pastors don't use the exclamation point in scripture. <laughs> so, I'm going to yell if the scripture tells me to. So, um, God makes a covenant with his people, right? And he says, I know what you did. You didn't obtain mercy. I gave it to you. I gave you this grace. You are my people. And I'm your God. And that's the way it's going to be. You have a choice now. Gomer had a choice to take that, to live with Hosea. I mean, why wouldn't you? Right? Why wouldn't you do that? 
But we have a choice every day to make whether or not we're going to die to ourselves. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. He paid the ultimate price. And because of his sacrifice, we have been redeemed. Only because, remember, God has justice. Okay, God is filled with justice. When I was growing up in church, I always heard that God is love, but I never fully understood the value of Christ on the cross because justice had to be served. God is not one thing and not the other. He is both just and love at the same time. And that only happens when he can pour out his wrath on something. And when he poured out his wrath on Jesus, just like Tony said today, the full wrath of, Je- or the full wrath of God was on Jesus. It was placed on him at one time, and he soaked it up for you. Everything that you were going to do, he paid for. Everything. And so now we have the freedom to be forgiven by God only because Jesus made that sacrifice. So God restores and reconciles us to himself. Those who were once not his people are because the sin was seen, the payment was made, and that's why nothing can separate us from God. Hosea had to make a price, or had to pay a price, but it's hard to visualize all this through words, I think, sometimes. And God has taught me through this video we're about to watch. It's a really cool video. It puts a really good modern spin on the classic story of Jose and Gomer. And so I want you to take a look at this.
That's the story of hope. That's the story of hope. Now, you saw in there that she made a decision. She went against her husband. She had an affair. What's the consequences? The kid. It's a constant reminder of her sin. But what did he do? He didn't condemn her. He didn't condemn her. He said, listen, sweetheart, I know what you've done. I see the sin. I see what you've done. But I'm choosing to pursue you always, every day. I'm denying myself and my selfishness. And I'm going to wrap my arms around you, and I'm going to forgive. What does that do? What did that do? That face that you saw at the end, that was not tears of sorrow. That was tears of joy and release and peace because she found security. She found hope because her husband forgave her. Because her husband forgave her. My friends, in relationships, that's what they do. They are pictures of what Christ is trying to do with us every day. They are pictures of the gospel. When a friend hurts you or a coach says a mean thing to you or maybe that girlfriend says a sharp thing to you or maybe that boyfriend forgot about you or maybe that friend that you thought was cool, they, they totally deny you and, and you try to do all these things for that person but really this is an opportunity for you to forgive. This is an opportunity for you to show the gospel in every relationship that you have. And so the Lord says when somebody has hurt you, when Hosea was hurt, what did he say? Go again. He said, go again. He said, he hurt my feelings. Go again. She said mean things behind my back. He says, go again. The kids just don't listen to me anymore. Go again. My spouse doesn't respect me. Go again. That friend said a harsh word to me. Go again. That coach, he riddled me in front of my friends. He belittled me as a player. He hated me. He says, go again. He says, go again. Every single time. Because we, our ministry, we have a ministry of reconciliation. We as believers, if you're a believer in this room, you have a ministry. And that is a ministry of reconciliation to the people of this world. We carry the gospel with us everywhere we go. We are the light of the Lord, or the light of the world. And so we are in essence the ministry of God. We're the hands and feet of him. We have a direct relationship with the Lord. That means that we have a direct relationship with other people to serve the Lord in those. And so I want you to leave with this statement, okay? I want you to hold on to it. The only way that we have hope is through forgiveness. And forgiveness always takes sacrifice. The only way that we have hope is through forgiveness. And forgiveness always takes sacrifice. You have hope today if you're in Christ because Jesus paid your price. He fulfilled the justice of God. He pursued you. He forgave you. You have hope. But what did it take? It took sacrifice. In our relationships with people every day, sorority sisters, fraternity brothers, co-workers, bosses, family members, it doesn't matter. Anytime that we feel offended or hurt or wronged, it's going to take dying to yourself and what selfishness does is it creates that enemy of love. And it's going to take that genuine love that only comes through obedience of God. And that is why now you are ministers of reconciliation to the world. As said in 2 Corinthians. We're ambassadors. So go out. Forgive others. Share hope. That's what we can do, man. And it's a pleasure to watch. That was an incredible time. 
Ben's going to come on and play some songs. We're going to have a time of response now. I want you guys to really just think about and apply this to your lives. I don't want you to just leave out of this room or leave out of this room and not think about what you've heard. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. This is the word of God connecting in ways that I didn't think was possible. The law of Leviticus to Matthew to the last moments of Jesus' life, all connecting in one. God wants to connect the pieces of your life. He wants to build those bridges with the people that you hurt or that maybe they hurt you. So I encourage you, if you're a believer tonight, you have an obligation to minister, minister to those people, to forgive, but not forget, but forgive and see the sin, but know that God paid it. See, forgiveness in essence is just saying, I see what you've done, but I know Jesus is bigger, okay? And you don't hold that against him. You move on, because that's what forgiveness is. It's the total redemption of that person. And so it may not be the same, your relationship may not be the same, but there's no strife, there's no hurt, there's no wall, because you went around it, you broke it down, and you forgive. So it might be a relationship that you have with somebody else that you need to forgive. It might be with yourself. But if you are not a Christian in here tonight, I want to encourage you that God has already taken care of your punishment. He has taken care of your sin debt, and he has redeemed you, and he has sanctified you. He wants a relationship with you. So in this time, do what the Lord has you to do. There's no pressure. It's just relaxing time with the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit just pursue you.